There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, November 2nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, thousands of Mississippians are still navigating the aftermath of Hurricane Zeta. We hear one story from the owner of a Bay St. Louis institution steeped in black history and how the arts will help pave the road to recovery. Then, on the eve of the election, we take a final look at the leading candidates in Mississippi's Senate race. Plus, it is in the political advantage of whatever party feels itself in the minority nationally. In 2016, Donald Trump was able to win the presidency despite a three million point deficit in the popular vote. We examine the quirky but definitively constitutional electoral college. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. In 1894, 12 civic-minded African-American residents of Bay St. Louis drew up the bylaws for an organization called the 100 Members Debating Benevolent Association. The group's primary purpose was to assist its members when sick, bury its dead in a respectable manner, and knit friendship. The group built later, the group later built a pavilion and then a hall that would, that would last as a cornerstone for the town's black community for over a century. Last week, the 100 man hall was one of many structures damaged by Hurricane Zeta, much of its roof ripped off by the storm's strong winds. Now, owner Rachel Dangerman plans to use one of the hall's historic staples, the arts, to fuel recovery efforts. She shares more with our Evelina Burnett. Um, it's one of the um, very few standing African-American landmarks in the region um, and perhaps in the country. And it's also one of the very few uh, standing physical buildings on the Mississippi Blues Trail. It just happened to coincide with a time when there were a lot of black musicians traveling through the South that had no place to play. So they would come to a place like this, like a juke joint, except this is a pretty big juke joint. Um, and they um, attracted musicians who were traveling through. They'd feed them, they could play, they'd earn some money. And just 
it was a sort of a coincidence or not a coincidence, but a, a, a all of these things coming together at the same time where you have Jim Crow laws keeping black people from um, enjoying all of the things that the white community was enjoying, but they would have places like this and then the black musicians were traveling through. So this hall hosted the names, which are, it's just astounding. They had uh, James Brown played here, Ray Charles, Etta James, uh, Guitar Slim, B.B. King, Sam Cooke, and certainly the local musicians, Professor Longhair, uh, James Booker, who actually was born in New Orleans but raised in Bay St. Louis, played here. Um, Irma Thomas, uh, Deacon John, many of them. It's an amazing um, landmark, and it has an amazing history, and that it's a story that's much more nuanced than the stories you hear about Mississippi outside of Mississippi. This is a, a story of where African Americans were able to, you know, come together um, and self-reliance and resilience. And they were able, under these dark, 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 oppressive times, to find joy, their own slice of joy. And um, I, that's a story that always bears repeating. And, and it, it lives in the descendants of the generations who came through here and made it this place. So what, uh, what year did you purchase it and, and what have you done with it since that time? So I purchased the hall in July of 2018. Um, when I got in, um, the nonprofit had been revoked. So I spent a lot of time getting that back together. And I had an opportunity that I could just start at a new nonprofit. But to have that historically significant nonprofit be what's running the hall became majorly important to me. So I organized a board, um, and I um, was waiting out, uh, you know, getting the, the documents and everything that I needed when I was approached that David Barrier was running for the Senate seat, and they wanted to do a fundraiser. And they said, can we use the hall? And I said, yeah. And so I rented the hall for the fundraiser, and they had Cedric Burnside come for the entertainment. And since then, Cedric and I have become friends. But it was to see the hall just crowded with people, with Cedric up on stage playing. It was one of those magical moments where I really felt everything about the hall. One of the things is, is the first time I walked through these doors, I felt the energy here. When people are in it and the community comes together and there's music on the stage, it's like no place that you've ever been. Like the energy, the vibe in here is just magical. So uh, you are three blocks from the beach, from the, uh, the Mississippi Sound. So how do you uh, generally prepare for hurricanes? I guess this is probably your second hurricane season or third. Um, how do you prepare for hurricanes? And And then maybe you could tell me a little bit about this last one and... What, how you sort of prepared for it, and then what happened? So I'm from New Orleans, um, and I actually remember going through Betsy when I was young. Um, and I actually moved out to California, was living there for 16 years, and I moved home May of 05 to New Orleans. Three months later, Katrina hit, and, you know, there you go. Um, so when I moved out here, it wasn't like I felt like I was getting getting away from hurricane land. I was kind of going to ground zero. Um, but there was something about this place that really called to me. Um, I knew that this building had withstood Camille, had withstood Katrina. And I have to say, both of those hurricanes really decimated the African-American community here in the sense that many photographs were lost, records were lost, and it dispersed a lot of people to different places. Um, so... My whole motto when I bought it was 
twofold. You know, we we knew that there's a possibility of hurricanes, but we wanted to first bring the black community back into the hall for a sense of ownership because it was built by and for black people. Um, and we, I did things structurally, like I had um, the entire bottom of the floor cell phone insulation, which adds structurally to the building. Um, and, you know, and we were looking at, in, in everything we were doing at um, how we would withstand. So when this one was coming, it was categorized as a category one. Um, we, we saw what the tides would be. We saw what the wind would be. And we stayed. Um, and, you know, and I took up some of the things, but not even my heavy teak furniture on the tin shed patio. We left it there because it's so heavy, you know, nothing was going to happen. And then I was actually here when it came, and um, it was it was horrifying. It was really terrifying. It was as if a freight train was coming through and just shaking the building to its core. I just kept thinking, okay, there's going to be silver linings. I'm telling you, I'm becoming a crisis manager. <laughs> I was like, there's going to be silver linings because we've been shut down since the beginning of the pandemic. We have not earned one lick of revenue, and um, we have a concert coming up November 13th with Cedric Burnside and Alvin Youngblood Hart playing together on the shed porch. And so this is a major thing for us to undertake outside. We have so much at stake. I just said, okay, we're definitely having that concert now because <laughs> we need it. Okay, well, it sounds like you have some uh, specific plans coming up with the concert. Do you have um, any other thoughts on what you're going to do from here on out? And I saw you had some uh, folks helping you out the other day. Have you had people stopping by to help? It's the people that come to help you that it's like, oh, my God. It's like um, it's overwhelming. You know, this um, really people have people have friends of mine have shared on Facebook and elsewhere what's going on. And people have just started donating uh, one artist, um, you know, church going mules. She she um, she um, is donating artwork. If you donate to me. You know, she put that on Instagram. People are just, you know, sending in money. Some people are sending in $5. Some people are sending in $500. Some people, uh, my friend Sheldon Donig from California that I knew when I lived out there, he said, I'm writing your check for $2,000 right now. You know, so like just this amazing outpouring of love. And, you know, and so I know we're going to get it. We're going to do it. But um, it's just right now, it's, it's a lot. Rachel Dangerman, owner of the 100-man hall with our Evelina Burnett. Coming up on the eve of the election, we take a final look at the leading candidates in Mississippi Senate race. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippians will be deciding a rematch of the 2018 U.S. Senate race when they head to the polls tomorrow. Democrat Mike Espy is trying again to unseat Republican incumbent Cindy Hyde-Smith. MPB's Ashley Norwood takes a closer look. 
Democrat Mike Espy is trying again to become Mississippi's first black U.S. senator since Reconstruction. Republican incumbent Cindy Hyde-Smith defeated Espy by about seven points in a November 2018 special election runoff. She is the first woman to represent Mississippi on Capitol Hill. Hyde-Smith has been running a low-key campaign in her rematch with Espy. She declined offers to debate, attributing it to her busy schedule in Washington. Brad Chisholm, president of the political communications firm Chisholm Strategies, says Espy is in a stronger position than in 2018. There's some polls that show it's a dead heat right now, largely because we see Mike Espy with the momentum and Senator Hyde-Smith just simply trying to run out the clock. Espy is a former Mississippi congressman who was elected to the U.S. House in 1986, making him the state's first black congressman since the Civil War era. He also served as U.S. Secretary of Agriculture under President Bill Clinton. In a recent WAPT television special, both candidates were asked about their priorities for Mississippi. Topping both candidates' list is health care, but their views on policy differ. Espy says he strongly supports the Affordable Care Act and expanding Medicaid to cover working people who cannot afford private health insurance. quarter of a million people in Mississippi would have relief. They could go to the doctor and the, the U.S. government would pay 90 percent of that medical bill. So they'd have confidence they could go to the doctor to take care of all of their ills and all of their maladies. Hyde Smith has called the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, disastrous saying Congress needs to repeal it. Although she recently voted for a bill that would protect part of the law that requires insurers to cover people with pre-existing health conditions, regardless of the overall fate of the ACA. You know, we have such a high rate of diabetes in Mississippi, and that is certainly among the very top is health care, rural health care, and prescription drugs, because it is astronomical what we pay for prescription drugs. Espy has advocated for changing the 1894 Mississippi state flag with its Confederate emblem. Hyde Smith has not. Espy believes she's hurting Mississippi's image and does not represent the state's future. She's wrong for Mississippi. She's outdated for Mississippi. She's holding us back and it's costing us jobs and it's harming our economy. Hyde Smith disagrees. She says she's working for every Mississippi family. But we do care about Mississippians, all Mississippians. We want the best for absolutely every family in all 82 states. We're going to continue to work hard to grow these jobs, to grow the economy. The election in 2018 is arguably remembered most for its race-related controversies that drew national attention and references to Mississippi's dark past and violent history of lynchings. A video posted on social media showed Hyde Smith at a campaign event, praising a local supporter, saying she would be front row if he invited her to a public hanging. After the video went viral, she initially refused to apologize for her comment, but later said it was an exaggerated expression, and any attempt to turn this into a negative connotation is ridiculous. Brad Chisholm with Chisholm Strategy says her comment about attending a public hanging and other insensitive statements is partly why Hyde-Smith hasn't been able to raise a lot of money this election. She is really unusual as a Republican senator in that she can't raise the money. He's outraised her almost 45 to 1 in the last two and a half, three weeks. And you have a situation where she's such an embarrassment to corporate officials that 
they're afraid to give money to her because of her previous comments. Chisholm says he believes her endorsement from President Donald Trump will sustain her bid for a full six-year term in the Senate. Trump's challenger, former Vice President Joe Biden, along with former President Barack Obama, recently announced their endorsement for ESPY. Chisholm says if Mississippi votes along party lines, it will be tough for ESPY to win because there are more Republicans in the state than Democrats. But the question, he says, is how many Republicans will split their ticket this election. To have a shot at defeating Hyde-Smith on Tuesday, Chisholm says ESPY needs record turnout from Mississippi's black voters and at least one in every five white voters. Ashley Norwood, MPB News. You can find the most up-to-date information about this Senate race and more election coverage at mpbonline.org slash election. Coming up, in 2016, Donald Trump was able to win the presidency despite a three million point deficit in the popular vote. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. In the final day before the election, President Donald Trump is looking to duplicate his success from 2016. With stops scheduled today in North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, Trump is keen in on the states that helped him in his first campaign for the White House. Democratic hopeful Joe Biden is also focusing much of his final efforts on those pivotal swing states. Despite a significant lead in national polls, analysts predict Biden needs to win back states Trump carried in 2016 if he wants to prevail. This method of localized politicking and messaging to specific blocks of the electorate is a product of the system in which America chooses its president. Matt Steffi, professor of constitutional law at the Mississippi College School of Law, shares more about the Electoral College. It's definitively constitutional. Its origins are a, a matter of the historical record, which means that it's open to some interpretation. It is the uh, resolved the tension between those advocating uh, during the founding or something that looked like a popular election recognizing that a popular election was just white men and in some states white men that had property and in other states included free blacks. So the franchise rules were very different, it bears mentioning. But between something in the nature of a popular election by what, under whatever limitations and some other process by appointment or congressional selection or some other proxy, um, and this is what we got, a kind of hybrid model where states are free to identify electors who uh, then have uh, cast the deciding vote in, uh, in the presidential election. Was the purpose of it also to, to make sure that voters weren't disenfranchised because they lived in a less populated area? Yes, there was a tension between big states and smaller states that um, that that is, you know, a piece and perhaps the, the driving piece of those who argued for popular election, which would benefit, uh, uh, you know, which would benefit populous areas, give them more of a voice and a state by state basis, which is what happens if 
the Electoral College can't work, then it is done state by state in Congress. So, yeah, so there's a tension between uh, uh, larger states and smaller states. There's a tension between slave states and free states. The extent to which, if any, slaves would count, that's part of the original three-fifths compromise in counting representation in Congress. Representation in Congress is what drives the Electoral College. Each state gets a number of electoral votes that represents the number of its congressional delegation. In Mississippi, that's four members of the House and two members of the Senate. How has that changed over the years uh, in terms of number well, the, of delegates for states? Well, it has it has grown uh, uh, as the number of states have grown, and it has grown as states have become more populous. You've got states like out in the uh, Intermountain West that have three electoral college votes. Uh, they get one member of the House because you can't have zero and two members of the Senate, a feature we would probably never pick today. We would probably never pick anything that gave Texas and North Dakota the same voice in a branch of the national government. But So it is a historical relic. It tracks population, but imprecisely, um, imprecisely because the uh, because it's it's this rough approximation based on the congressional delegation and because of the influence of the Senate. Right. That that tends to even things out a bit. The driving feature, though, the thing that makes us put up a map of blue states, red states on election night is the decision by the overwhelming majority of states to play winner take all. That is the uh, candidate with the plurality of votes gets all of the state's electoral college votes. That's how states kind of maximize their leverage. It also, right? it, it, it disallows the phrase, every vote counts. In the oh, electoral absolutely. college, it doesn't because you're voting in a group. The electoral college absolutely is what facilitates the, uh, the, the winner take all methodology and what absolutely means that for most people in the country, the great majority of people in the country are not going to cast a consequential vote for president. We know how California is going to turn out, how Texas is going to turn out, how New York is going to turn out. We know how 45 consequential states are going to turn out, which is why the obsessive focus on five mostly Midwestern Rust Belt states uh, are going to decide who our next president is. And Florida. It seems like Florida is always a key and state. And Florida. And Florida is, too, although Florida has become more reliably Republican since 2000, not exclusively, but more. Florida can play a key role. So can Colorado. So can North Carolina. So can Virginia. Uh, but I suspect we will be, uh, if the, the election hangs in the balance, it's how the upper Midwest. Because, as you said, this is an antiquated uh system, what's preventing the popular vote from taking over? Well, well, what's preventing the popular vote is, are, are politics uh, on the one hand and the, the, the unfortunate feature that our framers lacking perfect foresight, right? Because no, but it, however we venerate the framers, they lack for perfect foresight. And for all practical purposes, they made the Constitution unamendable. That is, it can't be amended on anything over which there's a difference of opinion. 
because two thirds of the, the, the House and the Congress have to, the House and the Senate have to agree, and then three quarters of the states. And again, Montana counts just as much as Texas or California or New York or Florida. Why does politics play a part when the Electoral College can benefit Democrats as much as it can benefit Republicans? It, it is perceived to benefit smaller states, and those smaller states fear that they will become politically irrelevant in a national election. Uh, uh, you know, why would anybody go to West Virginia again as frequently uh, been uh, a line I've heard in these debates. There are other ways we could accomplish this, right? We could, there's, a, there's been a proposal passing around that says as soon as, a, the, a, the, as soon as states agree to give all of their electoral votes to the national popular vote winner, as soon as there are enough states to do that to determine the outcome, this law, a kind of a trigger law, comes into effect. The problem is it's it's well short of the number needed and it's going to get tied up in the courts. It's because it's in somebody's political advantage. And in particular, it is in the political advantage of whatever party feels itself in the minority nationally. And uh, lately that has been the Republican party. Matt Steffi is a professor of law at the Mississippi college school of law. Matt, thank you so much. It's always my pleasure, Karen. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.